This show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at Altizen.com. A-L-T-I-Z-E-N.com. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. In this episode, I speak to Eva Xiao, China reporter in tech in Asia, where we discuss the live streaming ecosystem within China and what people do not understand the phenomena outside China. Hi, Eva. Hey, Bernard. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. I just came back from October holiday. So, well, for me, I was between jobs for a bit. So it was three weeks, about three weeks of a break, which is really lovely and much needed. Yeah, I've been doing well. How about you? I've been good. I just also added a new portfolio in my job, but I went away two and a half months in the US in Silicon Valley. So I'm talking to Eva Xiao, China reporter in Tech in Asia. I know you moved from techno to Tech in Asia. So how's the change like? Well, I haven't been at Technasia for very long, not even a week yet, but so far it's a very smooth change, I would say, pretty fast-paced, so I'm excited to work with a new team and a bigger team, actually. The reason why I got you here today, this time around we're not going to dissect a company and break it down into two episodes. We hope to do this in a relatively interesting introduction on something that you cover a lot, because I know you cover the cultural side and the more lifestyle side of tech. So I wanted to talk to you about live streaming or otherwise known as zhibo in China to pick your brain. Can you briefly introduce the concept and phenomena of live streaming otherwise known as zhibo in China? Sure. So to start, just to make it easy to understand, I'll point out some of the Western live streaming platforms. Do a very simple comparison to make it clear what Chinese live streaming is like. So I think readers are probably familiar with Facebook Live, Periscope, maybe even Twitch TV if they're uh, gamers. So these live streaming platforms, basically, it's the idea of broadcasting something live or live streaming a video. In China, I would say the biggest difference between Chinese live streaming platforms and Western live streaming platforms is the concept of digital gifting. So I won't say that digital gifting doesn't exist in Western live streaming platforms. I think early this year there's a, a U.S. startup called Camcord that started like a gifting system for gamers that became quite popular. Not popular, but they started doing this. So I, I won't say that's exclusively a Chinese phenomenon, but it is definitely a standard and a norm in a way that it is not on Facebook Live or Periscope. So digital gifting on Chinese live streaming is sort of, I guess you could call it like a tipping system that maybe not as systematic. So I'm watching a live stream. I can buy little little digital gifts and send it to the host who's on the live stream. So these digital gifts can be very cheap, very little. Like uh, I think you could say like applause. Like maybe applause is. Less than one RMB, and you can send that to a live streaming host, or you can send something much bigger, like a luxury cruise ship, and maybe that's a thousand RMB, right? So these little digital gifts are a way of expressing your appreciation for the host, but it's also a way of interacting, because hosts, if you, you know, if they receive, say, a bunch of flat digital flowers or a luxury Ferrari or something like that, then they will express their appreciation. They'll thank. 
the audience member who gave them the gift and maybe they'll do something else. Like I've seen people dance and respond to this. So I think that's a pretty key difference between Western and Chinese live streaming platforms. It really changes the dynamic. I guess we can keep going and if I miss anything, we'll just come back to it. But I think that summarizes the differences. What are the popular apps in China where most users utilize for live streaming? I mean, I went through the internet, I heard of Inker or Inky, depending on which media outlet you say it, Hua Tiao, mm-hmm. Weibo, Live, Douyu. Maybe there are more that I totally missed out. Can you tell me a little bit about all these popular <laughs> apps? Yeah, so there's a lot of them. Seeing numbers like 150, you know, it's a rough estimate. So there's, you, we definitely couldn't cover all of them, and probably not all of them would be worth covering. But I think the size or the number of live streaming apps kind of shows how popular and how hot the industry has gotten this year. So I, I would say the main live streaming apps, uh, you mentioned a few of them already. One is Inke, Douyu is another one. Uh, there's also one called YY, which IPO'd in uh, NASDAQ. So maybe people outside of China also are familiar with YY. There's also Huya that actually belongs to YY. There's also Panda TV. And then you also mentioned Hua Jiao. I think you mentioned that. And that's a live streaming app that's funded by Qihu360, which is a Chinese software company. But so, you know, all these different apps, I would say they have their own different niche, whether it's gaming, I mean, whether it's content related or some being more for mobile users, others, you know, if it's a gaming live streaming platform, they probably are, you know, more receptive to PC users as well. But like Inca, for example, is primarily uh, mobile based. And I wanted to also draw about Weibo because that was actually my first interaction with live streaming in Singapore with Chinese friends. In fact, one really? uh, one of a Chinese lady who's actually a very had a lot of Weibo followers. You need at least 10k followers so that she actually went around and canvassed her friends to actually get onto her channel. And then essentially, <laughs> she could, that's how she got onto the live.weibo.com, which essentially is their version of this live streaming. And then I started to look into this topic. And while I was in Silicon Valley, people were asking me about this just as much. So I guess there is also wow. the types of live streaming. There is showroom, lifestyle, gaming, and sport. Uh, all these applications uh, goes into different categories or do you actually see something more general or maybe less specific? Just a quick comment of the way board that I think is interesting and now the, the 10K thing makes sense because I think for Weibo, the focus, the live stream or the purpose of their live streaming function uh, is to focus on celebrities. So it makes sense that they would have that limit, you know, and say you have to have 10,000 followers at least. So that's interesting to know. But for the types of live streaming, there are big platforms that will have multiple genres. If you call like showroom lifestyle, let's just call them genres of live streaming content. There are some that have more than one. But like I mentioned before, this industry has more than 100 apps roughly. So it's quite fragmented. And some smaller apps, uh, they do only focus on, say, one genre, like Inke and Hua Jiao, these are mobile-focused, and they're like lifestyle. So lifestyle is, I think it's probably the most vague, or not vague, but most uh, open of these genres, and it can include people doing outdoor activities, social eating, people just chatting with you, kind of stuff like that. But Inke and Hua Jiao, I would say they focus primarily on that, versus like, TV, which is gaming 
or Panda TV, which is also gaming. So what about showroom live streaming then? Is it you have to like sit inside a room, you know, in your own room and then do the live streaming? So the showroom is just, it's performances. That's what the showroom, like music performances, things like that, or stand up. So that's more entertainment, I would say, in a traditional sense. Mm. And then sports is like sports broadcasting. The apps differ from each other from the way you categorize them into different types. You mentioned just now that I think Huatia was funded, financed by Tihu360. Who are the Chinese investors or corporations behind some of these companies that are very strong in live streaming? Yeah, so I think it's pretty interesting to look at the investors behind these platforms because it becomes immediately apparent why they've put their money into these platforms. So I happen to know with Qihu360, with Huajiao, Qihu360 recently just started or opened their own artificial intelligence research institute. And part of their focus is facial recognition, voice recognition, things like that. So they're using the technology that comes out of that institute and they're applying it to their different products. So in the case of Huajiao, you can imagine if I'm a live streaming host, maybe it'd be nice for me to have a beauty filter that I can use while I'm live streaming. So not just a photo or use like a funny filter and put it on. So you, you need like facial recognition for that. That's just a kind of a brief tangent, but you can see kind of the reasoning behind Sihu 360 who's more famous for security software products, why this kind of company would invest in Huajiao. But anyway, going on to the some other of these live streaming platforms, Douyu has been invested by Tencent and Sequoia Capital, and I think Phoenix Capital as well. So there you can also see the kind of obvious relationship because Tencent has a big gaming business. So Douyu as a live streaming platform in the gaming genre, well, it makes sense for them to make this kind of investment. So moving away from gaming, maybe like Inka, as I mentioned before, is a lifestyle, mobile-based live streaming app. So they've gotten funding from various different investors, one of them being Buttonwood Capital, which also invested in Momo. Momo is also a social network, and Momo also has its own live streaming platform too. And Buttonwood Capital also invests in other more social media type startups. So you can kind of see that it fits really well into its portfolio and that this this investor is also just interested in live streaming trend as well. As you, That's why I would invest in Momo too. So with live streaming platforms, there will be people who generate the content and the content creators are usually the celebrities. Can you tell me a little bit who are the celebrities known for live streaming? So I think this question is interesting because it, it really makes me think about the differences between live streaming stars and KOL, so cute opinion leaders, which sometimes people translate to Wang Hong, which is, I guess, internet celebrity. Maybe this is kind of a tangent, but with so some live streaming hosts, maybe they get a lot of followers overnight. So this is a topic that people mention when talking about live streaming especially really cynical people. So it is true. A lot of people who become very popular very quickly on these different live stream platforms, it's very short lived and they have a very short life cycle. Maybe their content is just kind of superficial. So an example is someone that's really beautiful and has like a little dancing routine, but she's not very professional because there are live streaming hosts who will take classes like dance classes to create better content. Maybe they even have an agency and they work with their agency to improve their dance routine. And at that point, I think I bring that up because I would say there's some people who are already established KOLs 
So, for example, there's a fashion KOL called Aika Lili, and you could also look at Papi Zhang, which may be a bigger household name. So Papi Zhang did videos first before she did live streaming, and she became popular and a huge internet celebrity through her funny videos. And then she's really famous because she got you know more than a million dollars in March in investment. And then she started live streaming. So when she started live streaming, obviously she already had a huge following. So as a live streamer, she's already had you know millions of people watching her. On the flip side, if she had started just as like a normal live streaming person and then tried to build up an IP for herself and branding for herself, it might have been harder. So there is a discussion in this industry about these two different directions, which is first being an internet celebrity or some kind of KOL, and then when you start live streaming, you already are a successful, you could say, live streaming celebrity. On the flip side, if you start doing your own stuff just through live streaming and then you try to you know build your own brand it's a bit difficult i guess it's a long answer to your question but mm. in terms of internet celebrities who are known for live streaming from what i've seen i've seen a few examples of people who become very hot very quickly and they don't become a celebrity per se they're just kind of like a short i don't know their fame isn't really doesn't have a long life this comes to the interesting question how does many people able to reach so many people through live streaming. Is it true that most celebrities on live streaming in China are mostly women? So the first question you're asking how I can interact with celebrities as an audience member. I mean, it's quite impressive because if you are a key opinion leader, KOL or Nisu Wang Hong, mm-hmm. you could literally yeah. get many people to come to your live streaming platform, right? Right. But not, not yeah. everyone started this way. There are some live streaming celebrities mm. that actually started the other way around. So how do they, yeah. are they able to reach so many pe- people so quickly? Ah, uh, so you're asking how do they create content that's really addictive and gets a lot of followers, basically, yeah. right? And then of course the follow-up okay. is are they actually women? Okay, it's a good question. I suppose if I had like a exact formula, then I could also become this very wealthy KOL. I'll just tell you some things that I've observed, also some things I've gone by talking to a few KOLs. So, and I don't think this is emphasized enough, honestly, in media. And it takes, and I mentioned this a little bit before, it takes a lot of hard work. You really have to have a professional mindset. So, for example, I talked to this one live streaming host who was on Momo. So, Momo was famous as kind of like a, it's a social networking app. It became famous because you could find people nearby. Uh, People made fun of it as sort of like a, dating strangers app. But anyway, they added live streaming. So there's this live streaming host that I interviewed and she was 21 years old and she had dropped out of college to do this full time. So number one, you can see she's really committed. Number two, she live streamed her episodes. Her show was every day and it was several hours. Okay. So pretty long gig, right? And every day she would practice and think about the content, plan out the content for her show. And then a full, I think, hour, half an hour, I can't remember exactly, before her show, she would get her makeup and like the backdrop of her live stream ready. In addition to that, during the day, she would also casually live stream. So this was outside of her daily episode. She would just casually live stream and just chat with fans. So she is, I mean, from everything I've just said, you can see how dedicated she is to growing her user base or audience base, I would say. She also has like a a WeChat where she connects with some of her audience members a bit more personally. When she went traveling to Thailand, she live streamed her travels. That is a really 
I mean, and she's not a celebrity per se, but she is maybe up and coming or she's, she has her sights set on becoming someone who can make this as a career. So you can see that she's trying to do other things. Maybe she will get an agent later and then hopefully she can get like a contract with the big platform. And that's like a more steady way of making money. So I think that's one insight that I have. It's not, I think what's often said when talking about Chinese or talking about live streaming in China is how anyone can be a live streaming star. There's kind of like this idea that like, oh, if you live stream, maybe you can make some money. Or like, oh, if you just talk to people or like flirt or just wear like a low cut dress, like you can make a career out of that. And I think that's not quite true. I think in some cases, depending on how extreme you go, you can make a lot of money that way. But I would say like people who are serious about making this a truly a career, it's much more of an investment. And then the second thing that I would say is, and this doesn't necessarily just apply to live stream, but KOLs in general, is that they're working all the time. And this is, you know, from conversations that I've had with KOL platforms. So like platforms that uh, feature different KOLs and help them uh, hook them up with different projects. The interesting part of this is that, for example, like WeChat, it creates its own economy with people building official account pages, etc. Right? You have a WeChat economy, and like companies like Grata, they actually build its ecosystem around. Are you seeing the same thing happening to live streaming as well, where services are built around there as well? For example, for live streaming stars, they will eventually find an agent, like the way you talk about. You know, some of them became celebrities in the process, so it creates an ecosystem itself. Have you seen that happening? I don't think it's as tight or as close of an ecosystem as WeChat. I think it's maybe more accurate to say that it's growing this industry where all these services are appearing or growing, thriving because of it. So these different talent agencies, whether it's something traditional like looking for music talent, um, those industries are definitely, they can capitalize on this live streaming phenomenon. Or even there's KOL incubators, though that's also part of this industry. could also benefit from live streaming as well. So I think it's a bit more fragmented, like agencies versus WeChat's account system. I think it's yeah a bit more disconnected. Being. So it's and also difficult to scale in that sense. The interesting point I also wanted to point out is that Peppy Zhang is probably the first internet star that got VC capital. You have not seen anything like that in the US, and mm. you are actually seeing something happening in that way. So I want to reverse the question a little bit. So for overseas brands coming into China, would they do marketing via live streaming? And have you seen any examples? Yeah, so I would say both domestic and overseas companies are trying to market through live streaming. So even um, maybe cosmetics is a good example because so there's a lot of live streaming hosts that I've seen who market cosmetics by opening a new product, say a face mask, putting it on, showing people how to use it. Live streaming is definitely a way to market cosmetics and fashion is the same way. Companies like Maybelline, which is a cosmetics company, has done live streaming with web stars and actresses. I think Elle, fashion magazine, has also done live streams of actors to try to market their products. I'm not sure if live streaming will make sense for all industries, but for sure I've seen, at least for fashion and cosmetics, overseas companies leveraging live streaming to do marketing. So how does the celebrities leverage live streaming to make money? Is it via e-commerce, digital gifting, and advertising? And which is the best model so far? 
Yes. So there's a lot of different ways to make money through live streaming. The digital gifting is probably the most common and it's something that you can do even if you're not selling a product. It's purely based on your interaction with the audience and how engaged they are. If they're really engaged, if they if you interact well with them, if they like you, they will send you gifts and that's a way to make money. The e-commerce bit, I think. So I've seen some Daigo people use live streaming to boost their own sales. So Daigo is the gray market of cross-border e-commerce. So imagine like a Chinese person living in Australia or they're visiting Australia and they they buy baby powder and they bring it back and sell it. Okay, so that's Daigo. So I've seen Daigo agents selling products or marketing them through live streaming. And then even there's one that I was watching, the woman just she had I think a helper or like not an agent, but an assistant who was also in the chat room. And she put the Daigo person's WeChat on there. So she said like, hey, if you like this face mask, you can add me on WeChat and I can get it for you. And even I think an audience member is like, well, what if you don't have like the product that I want? And she was like, "I anything you want, I have it. So, I mean, there's th- that kind of e-commerce. There's people who run shops on WeChat, run shops on Taobao. They also use live streaming to improve. I mean, it's basically just advertising, right? To boost your own sales. So that's another, that's another way. And as far as what's better, I think these two, the digital gifting and the advertising bit, they're focus on two different goals and maybe some people can be both like maybe you can like the the person who does that goal for cosmetics maybe she is known as uh, maybe she has a great personality or just something else on her show that gets her a lot of money through digital gifts but her main goal is to pump up her cross-border e-commerce business right so it's it's kind of a different goal whereas say i'm a singer i'm an amateur singer but i want to make money through my passion for singing pop songs then digital gifts is probably the way that I would go. And I think they're successful live streaming hosts in both areas. We talk about the celebrities. What about the live streaming apps? How do they monetize their platforms? So these digital gifts, I think I I didn't actually explain how that works. So as an audience member, I can buy digital currency, let's say a token on the live streaming app or the live streaming platform. And I can use these tokens, these this digital currency to purchase different digital gifts like lollipops or firecrackers or a cruise ship, right? And as a live streaming host, when I receive these digital gifts, I can cash them in for real money. But obviously, part of the money goes to the platform. So these different platforms get a cut of these digital gifts as well. I think it varies for different platforms, but I've seen for Douyu, I think the number is 50% commission. So given that there are extensive coverage on live streaming in China by Western media, what are the pieces of information which they do not get right or understand about the Chinese in this area? So I think since live streaming has been one of the hot themes of this year, by this point, actually, from what I've read, and there's been a few reports, and recently I actually just saw an English report that Tencent did on live streaming that's pretty comprehensive. I would say maybe in the beginning of the year, there was, I would say, too much focus on the scandalous part of live streaming in China. Obviously, that's something that everyone's interested in, right? The, the sexy part probably drives more traffic if you report that, too. 
So there's a lot of scandals. I think another part that makes those things more interesting in China is because porn is illegal in China. So people are making this link and kind of focusing on that. Um, and another part of it was a bunch of live streaming platforms were scrutinized. There's a content crackdown early in the year around May, April, May. So there's a huge focus on that. And I think at the beginning of the year, something that I felt was that there wasn't enough focus on how this was really an economy. People talk about a KOL economy, but live streaming, like the key thing is that there's lots of money involved. And it's not just a new kind of content, to be honest. It's really the interaction. And I think now in media, there's uh, and what I've seen, there's much more focus on that. And it might also be because the industry is becoming more mature. So, for example, there's Taba Live now. So Taba has its own live streaming platform. And it's really just like a new kind of advertising. And it really from, you know, this is from Taba's perspective. It's really boosting conversion rates for their shops. So I think at this point, it's a bit more well balanced in terms of what part of live streaming or what part of the live streaming economy is covered. But as I mentioned before, I think something that I think is not mentioned as much is just the amount of professionalism and hard work that has to go into the live to making live streaming actually profitable for these hosts. That it's not just like a democratization of entertainment or you know broadcasting yourself. That the ones I think that will really make it are the people who plan out a career, get an agent, plan out their content. These are going to be just high quality or more serious content creators in the future. So I think at this point, it's a bit more well-rounded because it's shifting away just from like the scandal, the regulation part to looking at how it can be applied or how companies, how people are applying it. I wanted to ask this question about a company called Musical.ly. It's a well-known ad for China, but I probably would have to leave you to introduce a little bit about this company. It's now going into live streaming with Lively. So yes. I know Musical.ly is funded by GGV Capital from Silicon mm -hmm. Valley. So how do you see this space heating up? So Musical.ly is an interesting company because so they have their headquarters are in Shanghai, but all of their business, their main market is North America and mainly North American teens, primarily the U.S., uh, but they also have a presence in Canada, too. And they have their, and I talked to Louis Young, one of the co-founders of Musical.ly, and I asked him once why they have their office in Shanghai, you know, because they're opening, maybe they've already opened it. It's in L.A. They've opened an office in L.A. because so much of it is connecting the music stars on their app to talent agencies in L.A., I was asking him why would they have uh, this presence? Why would they put R&D in Shanghai? And it's really just because, you know, the, the founding team, it is a Chinese company. And that's where it came out of was Shanghai. So there's really no reason. It's just that's part of their story as a startup. So I would just say that musically, besides its, that background, its Chinese background, it's mainly focused on the U.S. And I think musically deserves it. I think there have been stories written about it, but I think it's worth looking into to see how they adapted to the U.S. market, especially with stuff like teen bullying, because that's a bigger topic in the U.S. than in, in China. So anyway, I just wanted to kind of clarify that, that it wasn't like a Chinese-focused app that expanded into the U.S., okay? And with Lively, so Musical.ly, it started out doing uh, with teens that would do lip-syncing, but then it quickly became an app where teens and users would create their own original songs or their own content. 
And Lively has also been incredibly popular and is similar demographic, so also North American teens. So with Lively, I'm not sure, because it's teens, I can see how that would be problematic, adding digital gifting to this teen app. Maybe it doesn't matter, or maybe I'm just, you know, old-fashioned. But I think at the moment, the digital gifting system in China, it's hard for me to see it becoming as accepted outside of China, especially in Western countries. I did mention that there's a gaming company called Camcord or a live streaming gaming company called Camcord that's kind of doing these digital gifting systems. But I would say gaming's a bit different because you have a very loyal user base. But in terms of like lifestyle, this lifestyle genre, it's hard for me to see that taking off with the digital gifting as it has in China, you know, in other countries, like on Periscope and other platforms like that. So in terms of like Lively and Camcord, I think outside of China, these can do well because they're focusing on very specific user segment. And then like moving away from Lively and Musical.ly, I guess a few things that I see in this live streaming space for the future is live streaming becoming more commonplace as a platform for advertising and branding. So I think with the e-commerce bit with Taobao Live, I see that growing a lot more to the point where maybe it's just like the new way of doing advertising. And then I also see, and it's already kind of shifting this way, that live stream is becoming like a must-have feature for social platforms. Yesterday, there is a WeChat launched a drone. They launched the pre-sale order for their own drone that can directly live stream the footage, like live stream video to WeChat. And WeChat hasn't officially launched a live streaming feature yet. So, but it's kind of a hint that maybe they will do that in the future if they've launched this live streaming drone, right? So I can see like live streaming, including Momo, right? Which was a social networking app. I can see live streaming becoming like a very normal or standard feature for a lot of these uh, Chinese social platforms. So I guess this area is going to actually mature, even though it's very fragmented now. Is that how you think about it? As it matures, it will become less fragmented, and I expect to see mergers and acquisitions. And also uh, forming different categories like consolidates gaming, maybe fashion, entertainment. That means breaking into more and more verticals. Right. When I said merging and like the merger and acquisition part, I mean purely in terms of companies. But yeah, there might be a more fine categorization of content, which you can see in other mediums, right? Like with video and photography, things like that. So I expect that then as well. And then I guess another thing that I would point out is the content moderation piece. Like I mentioned earlier this year, around May and April, Chinese government, Chinese regulators really cracked down on these live streaming platforms because of lewd content. Something that's not everyone knows. Something that's been reported on is in May they banned seductive content like eating bananas in like a sexy way. It is funny, but I think it's going to be a huge challenge for these different platforms. I read. I remember reading this article. And this isn't even live stream. There's a wide article about Facebook's content moderation team in the Philippines. How they had a hundred thousand or so people there going through content, making sure nothing too violent or too disgusting or you know what have you would come up on your feed. And then already, you know, I've talked to PR from Momo, and they have a team in Chengdu, so in central China. 
that's in charge of moderating content. I can see this becoming a huge cost and a, and a challenge that these different platforms will have to deal with. I guess the Chinese government is very strong in actually cracking down all these things that they are not happy with the vices. So you also see the content moderation is going to be one of the key challenges in live streaming. Yeah, and it's, it's a dilemma, right? Because this kind of soft porn content generates a lot of profit because people give a lot of digital gifts. So these platforms are incentivized to turn a blind eye to this. On the other hand, they don't want to be shut down by regulators. So they're kind of treading a fine line. And you can see different systems coming out. Like, though you had a point system. It's a podcast, so I can't show you a picture, but it showed a woman, like a cartoon woman, wearing like a tank top, and it just pointed out different parts of her body that couldn't be shown. And if you show, if you're wearing a deep V or you're showing too much cleavage, you get uh, points, kind of like a driver license, you get points taken down. And then at a certain point, you're just removed from the platform. Um, and then some other platforms, yeah, some other platforms that require you to register with the national Chinese ID so that they can yeah, basically track you down if you do anything terrible uh, while live streaming. So I think different platforms have different approaches to this. But that being said, like I've watched live streams where a girl has said like, oh, I've been blocked like a few days this week because so this came about because one of the audience members wanted her to change her outfit. OK, because they thought it was too conservative. And then she said her response was, you know, I've been blocked a few times this week. I really can't get blocked again. <laughs> so that kind of shows a level of tolerance, right? Because these platforms don't want to have really too vanilla, I guess, too boring of a content. They don't want to be a boring content platform and they want to make money. It'll be interesting to see how this develops. I expect there to be an increase of digital celebrities in the entertainment space. So that means musicians who become famous through their social media presence, not traditional channels. So you can make a comparison to YouTube stars who become famous through their YouTube channel and then they can have concerts and draw lots of audience members because uh, they became famous in the digital space. Um, with live streaming, because of the showroom aspect, I expect that to increase. And then another thing that I wanted to add was in terms of more verticals and live streaming content, um, I would also say that I can see more applications to live streaming too. So recently, like the end of September, I saw this really interesting news article talking about live stream court cases in China. So obviously not all court cases will be live streamed, but I thought that was very interesting development, you know, taking this tech trend and applying it to law. That's one. And then another one, I think this isn't as fresh or for me, it's uh, I've seen it before, but live streaming applied to education. It's interesting because live streaming is both a way of content, you know, you can live stream sports and it's purely content consumption with a bit of interaction, I would say, because you can chat in these live streams, but it's also an application too, or it's a tool and a platform for a lot of people, not just purely content. So those are just the two things I wanted to add. There is something that I probably think that all my audience in the U.S. is probably now thinking about. And it's something that nobody knows about the Chinese live streaming market. So Eva, it's always great to talk to you, given your perspectives from China. Help my audience. How do they find you? You can now find my work on Tech in Asia. You can also follow me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Eva W. Xiao. You can find me at B. Leung C. W. 
or at bernardleung.com. You can find me at bleungcw or at bernardleung.com. You can subscribe to us at Analyze Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E-A-S-I-A. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Acast, and Google Play, only in the US market. And of course, uh, drop me a comment. I've been receiving a lot of requests for different interesting topics, and I'm trying to cover all of them. So stay tuned with us on it. Once again, Eva, I'm probably going to get you back to talk about Musical.ly. So uh, I will talk to you again soon. Great.